air breathers. This is SpongeBob SquarePants, and you are filling your ear holes with an elegant weapon, the best podcast on land or sea. Bah! May the force be with you. An elegant weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 203 of an Elegant Weapon podcast. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross. It is so good, as always, to be here with you again in the L5J studios. This week, though, I am not alone. Joining me, hanging out, one of the most thoughtful, intelligent comic book writers I have ever had the pleasure of speaking with, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Josh Dahl. Hello, sir. Hello, how's it going? It's going awesome, man. It's going uh, really, really well. Uh, you hit me up recently because, uh, yes. you know, just straight out straight out the box. you got a Kickstarter coming up. I am in the situation where uh, just because we had such a rich spring as far as conventions and uh, yes. adventures we got to have, I – kids, I'm surprised again that I'm actually in the basement doing some recording in the studio because I have so much content still to bring you all the way back from the great Philadelphia Comic-Con that, that it's going to – Oh, yeah, it's it's going to keep rolling out, and I have so much good stuff that I want to come up that I'm going to have to start uh, kind of slicing and dicing a little. So uh, we cannot possibly miss having a quick conversation about a Josh Dahl Kickstarter coming up. So that's why Josh is joining me for the first portion of the show this evening. Uh, Josh, you yourself was at, uh, or were at, uh, yep. grammatically speaking, the great Philadelphia Comic-Con. You had a good time, yes? I had a real good time. That was the second convention I actually did with uh, my artist, Sean Langley. And <laughs> I just really like tabling with that dude. He's a cool dude. Um, hanging out with all you guys. Um, it was just a good time. Yeah. It was yeah. like, it, if I were to make a complaint, it would be like weird nitpicky things like. Your usuals. Just, <laughs> like I would, I would have to dig to come up with something to complain about, about Philadelphia. Yeah, that's a great, that's always a great sign. Um, yeah, and Sean is such a wonderful dude. He's one of the funniest guys I think I know, because he's one of those mellow guys, and he'll just hit you with those one-liners from outside the conversation. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And they're they're just brilliant. And, and he just so rolls with everything. He, he's such a good dude. My favorite thing he did was after the con, when everybody got home, uh-huh. He, he posted uh, on a status on Facebook, and it said, happy to be home, with a picture of a hobbit house in the Shire. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... Every part of that, Sean, we love you. Yeah. Every part of that is so literal for him. Like when... <laughs> uh, uh, last summer, the first time I did a con with him, when he came out to Boston, it was totally leaving the Shire. It was... Like, small town to big town. He was, like, almost, like, shocked to see the city and all the big things <laughs> in it and all the food and all the people and places. <laughs> and just, like, totally, totally endearing, like, not quite golly gee, 
attitude, but just like, not no, not godly G at all. Sincerely, legitimately impressed with the scope of the city. Just able to look out at it and not be too jaded to be like, whatever. Just That's like, awesome. That yeah. is a big place. Yeah, and yeah. It's totally cool. I I wish I could have that perspective to a certain extent, and uh, you know, you probably the same being you know in the Boston area and right, you know right. with Toronto, it's very rare that I come across a city that you know kind of puts me in awe that's bigger than Toronto. You know, I I kind of have to go to New York for something There's like that. You know, few, the way to do it is to find perspective on it. Uh, two weekends ago, I went up to the top of. I think it's still the tallest building in Boston. And just looking out at it, it's like, Jesus. Yeah. All those people live right here. <laughs> oh, every one of those cars is full of people who don't know I'm looking at them. Like yeah. Every, yeah. It's, and it's going all, like, every once in a while, you just get staggered by. Well, I would love to that, see the history. Makes, my, uh, mm. my, my sister-in-law and her husband spent their honeymoon. They just went down to Boston. And they spent some time. Oh, in, they, yeah, they spent some time in Salem. And you know, did yep. the whole witch tour thing, and then they went down to the Haba, and uh, they hung yep. out. They hung out at the harbor and checked out the ships, and that was kind of. And they just chilled, and they said it was such a beautiful city for like hanging out in, you know. And and I forget what it's like because uh, when kids come up from Michigan for Fan Expo, uh, Derek Becker of Comic Pros and Cons, yep. my good friend in particular. What's up, Derek? What is up, Derek? Uh, by the way, check out his last episode with uh, Sean Daly, uh, one of Toronto's finest independent artists. Uh, absolutely wonderful conversation, not just because they shout me out a whole bunch. But uh, yeah. when they come out from Michigan, last Fan Expo, they only came to the show for two days. And him and his girlfriend Mel, fiancé, I should say, uh, yep. spent the other two days uh, sightseeing doing actual yep. walking tours of Toronto. I didn't even know Toronto offered walking tours. <laughs> I knew they had the buses, like the sightseeing buses, but, you know, and I've done walking tours in other cities, but it never just occurred to me that Toronto would be interesting enough to, to you know, felicitate something like that. And it's it's so cool that they do, you know? Now that, Jason, now that I've quit my day job and I can actually travel to more conventions when I can afford it, you know, that's the downside of quitting the day job. Um, I always buffer a day or two on either side yes. so that I can actually see the city. Yes. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not like an awesome tourist. I don't do any like great thing, but just to be able to pick a place on a map and go there and walk around and look at what's there and then leave. I feel like I've actually been to the city instead of just to an airport and a convention center and an airport and home and an airport and a convention center and an airport and home. Yes, yeah, it's something I definitely want to try doing more too because you know I would have loved to have seen more of Chicago for sure. Oh, uh, Chicago, beautiful town. You know, and uh, I was just so entranced by my first time at C two E two that you know that that I've never been to a con that was that scale of a party. Like 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 Dude. the con itself. Forget the con itself. The con right. would end and then immediately just spill right over into the hotel lobby where it would continue till four or five in the morning with not just a few scattered folk, like right. dozens of groups of people at three four in the morning still hanging out drinking having a good time. Unbelievable. The my convention party experience at C two E two was just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was good I times. Up, like with uh, um, 
some people who I knew and some people I didn't know, and then some people who I knew left, and I was with someone I didn't know, and we went, I like, whatever, I'm following along, so we go to sit down at this table, and I'm just talking to these people, telling stories, goofing around, and I slowly start picking up on names, and I'm not going to name drop right now, but it was like, I know all of your comics, like, I know, like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> I'm, I'm at the big kids table right now, <laughs> and I didn't know enough to shut my mouth until right now, it, it, it was... <laughs> But also, everyone was totally cool. Nobody snubbed me or was like, who are you? Like, oh, yeah. And yeah. even like to the point where after I became aware of what was happening, I sort of made a joke about it and was like joked back. It wasn't like a it, – it felt totally welcoming and cool. And uh, I don't know. It was such it was a great time. Well, even the top guys, uh, the ones that I kind of had the privilege or chance to, to talk to or even be yep. in on a conversation with – it seemed like they even had a more forgiving attitude than usual as far as everyone in this building is going to want to talk to me. Yep. Like, like there's something about C2E2 that they know they have to be part of it. Apparently this year was a big difference, uh, big difference in the Saturday night where they actually took a whole bunch of them, at least the celebrity of the media guests to a different location. Cause it had okay. just gotten to be too much right, the past right. few years, but still there's Snyder and Capullo hanging out in the corner and, being more forgiving than probably usual yeah. for you to just walk up and say, hey, you're a god, and them saying, right on, thanks. Like, there when seemed to be the tons of that. came at the, um, Sunday night to tell a group of people to get rid of the open bottle of scotch that was there. <laughs> and it was like, oh, um, I drank the last drops of Scott Snyder's scotch. <laughs> <laughs> the scotch that he bought for the table. Before I showed up, he had bought a bottle of scotch for everyone, and it was like the last drab of it. And I was like, "Got to pour this out." And it was like the last bit of it went to my cup. Oh and I was like, man, there's something a little symbolic about that. I don't That's know. That's amazing. Just cool. That is super cool. It's not amazing. It's not Dude, amazing. It is amazing. That is pretty All sweet. Because right. <laughs> people are like, Maybe "Oh, I met Scott be... Snyder. Yeah. I whatever Scott Snyder." And those are like people think those stories are amazing enough. When you're like, "Yeah, I finished the last few drops of Snyder's scotch." Come on, that sounds. But I didn't. Good. I didn't. I didn't steal it from them. That would be a no, cool story. No, yeah, and no, yeah, no. It had to get rid of. I happened right. to be at the table when it was needed to be poured out. You and my spared him to having to get rid of and waste good scotch, right? Well, not direct. He had already gifted it and left the table long before I arrived. All right. Well, at least you stopped good scotch <laughs> from being wasted. Come on, work with me, Josh. That is Come true. On. It was pretty cool. It was pretty okay. Cool. Before we get into the Kickstarter immediately. I need yes. to talk to you about this again. I was okay. so unbelievably impressed with your Motor City Con panel. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. It yes. was it uh, just I, I can't I wasn't sure what it was going to be cuz there there's lots of people out there doing how to make comic panels. Yeah. I've seen dozens of them. You know, many of them are very good. Usually mm -hmm. each one has its own little tidbits. You go to enough, yep. you can learn something from everybody absolutely. Uh, there can't be enough help when it comes to making comics, right? That's part of comics yeah. is that part of the community that they, they're helpful, wonderful people. But you, you laid it out in a specific kind of, what's the word? You had a plan. You had more of a plan of not just each it's step. Each outline. Step. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. I wrote an outline beforehand. <laughs> yes, but it was just... Like I, I've I've talked to you enough and gotten to know you enough that you know I've I've kind of learned a little bit about your thought process and mm -hmm. you you 
always think things through before speaking your mind. Not that you're afraid to speak your mind about anything, but you're, you're always very well thought out. And this was very evident in the panel itself. It was normally people like, Oh, you can do this and here's some publishers. And then you want to write your script, but no, you went into very interesting specifics that I wouldn't have thought to have pulled out and made important. You made important. Uh, as far as just your ideas and how to lay them out and how to build on them and how okay. to, do you I know had what I'm uh, a conceptual framework. Yes, yes, yes. See, this so is why you're the writer. Of, I had three <laughs> different, I had three different takes on every single section of it, and as I went through each section, made sure to address each one of those points. Yeah, and it, it was it was great. I just wanted to go back to that and. Uh, let anyone know out there, please keep doing that. Like, uh, you know, it's, uh, how many times had you done that panel? Uh, that was the first time I've ever done it. Okay. Which I thought so, because you did take a few minutes to get warmed up and Uh I knew, I don't know if the audience members knew this, but I've talked to you enough to know that you are, you will take your pauses. If you have to think out a thought before you (laughs) say it, you have no qualms about making people wait up to 10 seconds at a time sometimes <laughs> until you're ready with your thought. So it took a few minutes to get it rolling, you know, and kind of for you to place out, okay, how do I get into this? But right. after the first few minutes, man, once it pumped and people figured out, cause you started asking questions first, you were yep. trying to get a read on the audience. Who's there for what, who needs to learn this or that. And that was kind of helping you figure out where to go with your thing. And I kind of saw it happening. And then once people clicked in and it all started to make sense where you were going with all that, I was really impressed. Even as a guy who isn't a creator, but, you know, has, has delved into the, the process no, enough. You're a creator and it, it reflects directly on what you're doing. Can I say, can I like kind of go into that for a minute? Absolutely. The panel topic. So what I was talking about was comics in uh, uh, as a cargo cult. Cargo cult, look it up, Google it. I'm not going to get into what that whole thing is there. But it basically means trying to do something when you don't understand the mechanics of it. Right? Right. It reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons when they're at Itchy and Scratchy Land and one of the robots takes his head off and Marge says, see all that stuff in there, Homer? That's why your robot didn't work. That's how a lot of people make comics without understanding that robots need stuff inside them to work. That's right. the way a lot of people make podcasts without understanding that there are like technical skills and even like technical items that they need to do it. And for both of us, podcasting and comics, the very, very low barrier of entry that exists now, get a microphone, sign in, like draw something and you can do it, means that a lot of people aren't learning the lessons they need to learn. And that makes me sound like an elitist dick when I say that. And I don't mean that there should be a high so barrier at all. of entry. I don't mean there should be a high barrier of entry. I mean that there when there was a barrier of entry, people scrambled around in the dirt and learned those lessons. And so the only ones who made it through are the ones who learned all these important technical skills. Now that barrier is gone. So people are getting through without having learned those skills. So there's just a later washout point. So there's a whole bunch of people past that point that used to exist who still haven't fought their way through those lessons. And I'm not saying those people suck or whatever. It's just you got to learn that there are specific technologies and skills 
depending how far you want to take something, absolutely. Depending how far you want to go to a certain point with something or develop your craft, shall we say, to a certain extent, of course, you have, there's, you know, there's, there's rules to whatever you're doing, whether you like it or not. Like, you know, there's even rules to anarchy or we wouldn't have the word anarchy in a way, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, so that was great. And, and I've said this before and, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to keep pairing it up, but, uh-huh. But one of the – beyond your panel, one of the finest panels that I've also ever seen uh, that has inspired many people is Dirk Manning's Right or Wrong panel, which, yes. is, uh, which is more of a, a branding, how to, how, to, how to sell your brand, how to build your brand, how to understand your brand, how to coincide your brand with a comic, a comic as a brand, this yep. whole thing, right? And he Nobody lays knows it that out as well as Dirk. Yeah, absolutely. And he, it's 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 kind of laid out the same way. He has a very specific way to the way he lays it out. And you know, you you don't always know where he's going with some of his explanations, mm-hmm. but then when he gets there, it all makes sense. And the way your panel feels like a prequel to his panel, I've said it before, and I want to say it on the show because I know many of my listeners have heard Dirk's panels. Is how much you will also get out of yours as well. As far as the precursor to actually making the comic, you know, so anybody who's heard Dirk's panel, please find it. Like, I don't know if you've never recorded it, I guess, or anything like that. eh? I have. I I sent out the PowerPoint that I used that, you know, that I kind of used. Right. Um, It's not recorded. I'm going to try to record it next weekend in Worcester, Massachusetts at the massive Comic-Con. Oh, okay, very cool. If you can get a decent recording, I would be more than honored to to post it for you if you wanted it out there. Because I I want people to hear it because it it's it's just what I would be looking for at least. And this is my podcast, so obviously I'm going to go towards what I would be looking to get out of a panel. And it's just brilliantly so broken that, can down. I make, yeah. Can I make uh, two suggestions to your listeners for how to get a hold of this? Of course. Um, one. Go to makebettercomics.com. Yes, yes, of which course. Which is the website. That's my uh, um, comics editorial script support service thing through yeah. which I do these panels. Shit, I'm talking and, about posting it and you're trying to sell it off. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, this, that's, that's not a thing I'm selling. That's a promotional thing. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? That, that's right. the, the loss leader. That's the stuff I'm putting out there for the world, hoping that the world will be so impressed with me that the world will come back to me and say, pay me money for stuff. Right. Okay. So, um, makebettercomics.com is the first way to get in there. Second way, if there's a convention near you, write to the organizers and say, hey, why don't you have Josh Dahl doing Make Better Comics here? The more that happens, the more when I get in touch with them, they go, oh, you, yes, please. Right. So, again, please write to your convention organizers and say, we want Josh Dahl. We want Make Better Comics. Yeah. Or make sure that you get to the Great Philadelphia Comic Con 2017 because I am more than positive that uh, that'll be going down there. Because if you choose to attend, there's no way that panel won't be happening. Uh, a certain by little... then it'll be like version two or three, and it'll be pretty badass. It'll be nice. Yeah, I, I know I know I know a person or two. I know somebody down there in Philly, so I'm sure. I know we some can guys. I know it. some Philly guys. <laughs> we got we got some Philly guys taking care of us out there. Okay, so. Josh, you are the writer of a comic, uh, Rapid City Below Zero. Uh, I got That's number right. one. I got number one from you at C two E two, and my God, it's a wonderful book. It, oh great! Uh, it uh, also the art is by Sean Langley, who we were talking yes. about earlier. Uh, very cool art. 
by Sean. Uh, if you know Sean's style, it's very indicative of his style, uh, so you know what you're in for. And dude, man, did it flow. I had to oh, go. Good. I read it and then looked at it. I was, you know, how in a oh, comic wow. you're okay. reading, you're reading, and, and this is nothing against Sean whatsoever. The art is fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. But you wrote that with such a flow that after the first page or two, I had to stop looking and reading, looking and reading like you normally would at a comic. Yes, it was flowing so easily that I just read it first because wow. it was everything you said in the balloons told the story so perfectly it could have been a, a, a short story on its own in my mind. Like I'm sure you would have had wow. to fill uh, it out you. or add it, but that's for me my favorite part of of the story. It's a wonderful story, but your flow was just excellent, sir. It just from page one to the end, I felt like I, I, I didn't remember flipping pages. Like it felt like it was just a continuous read through and it was so smooth and made so much clear sense, but without being too dumbed down. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, yes. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I know it's hard for you guys to hear this, you know, but this is my job is to gush for you. So I'm doing that because it's, <laughs> it's wonderfully written us. Uh, so the flow is great. And just the idea is so cool. I can't wait to continue to read more. Uh, if you kids haven't got out there and gotten any of this, you need to get some of uh, Rapid City. So why don't you take it from there? What I just told people about was basically is the setup. Uh, it was issue one. Uh, it, it's a it's a sweet ass revenge story, and this is kind of the introduction to why she's on her course for revenge. Why don't you pick it up from she there? Of course, Icicle, the main Icicle. character, uh, yes. the supervillain. Um, while you are talking about issue one, let me just say, uh, and hopefully you can post a link to this somewhere. Um, anyone who goes to tinyurl.com slash rcbz free, that's Rapid City Below Zero free, rcbz free, uh, you get a free copy of issue one in PDF form. There you go. And links will be on the page, kids. So tinyurl.com slash rcbz free. So Rapid City Below Zero is the story of Icicle, who's a supervillain. Um, she's a young lady who's had some problems. And some superpowers and turns to a life of crime. Um, we follow her story through several issues of uh, um, she's been betrayed. She wants revenge. She's out to get it. Um, Sean Langley and I both believe a lot in this project to the point where Sean believed in me and this project enough that he started drawing it at a page rate that is insulting and embarrassing. I won't say it out loud because <laughs> other right, other comic people will get mad at me for abusing Sean, which I have been doing. So I I kicked his rate up a little bit, and at the time we did we did a Kickstarter for issue number four because I couldn't exactly afford to pay the rate he deserved, and he deserved to get the rate he should. So in order to get that rate, he would have to take commission work, which means Rapid City Below Zero would slow down, which means it would lose momentum, lose fans, blah, 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 blah. Right. So that starter, the Kickstarter for issue four was awesome. People really came through. It was an amazing landslide of support. Happiest thing. We went over our limit. We funded the issue. Yeah. We made the issue. It's fantastic. During that issue, uh, we started to do a thing called the Rapid City Exclusive Studio, which means when Sean and I collaborate on our comics, we do it through Facebook. So I send him the script on Facebook. 
He draws right. sketches, puts them up that's on awesome. Facebook. That's awesome. I go through the sketches, comment yeah. on Facebook. Okay, hold on a sec. I need to mention something quick. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I'll, I'll forget this thought if I don't. But before when I said that you could read the story just as a short story, not needing the pictures, I, I just have to say that the the opposite is the same. Yes. As well as they go together, the 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 every panel is could be it could be a silent book, and there, you know you, you could say there, they're two great tastes that taste great together. Yes, absolutely. But it, yes, uh, there are some things that wouldn't make hundred <laughs> percent sense. That's right. Like you'd be like, what are they digging themselves out of and stuff? Blah blah blah. But the idea that you know it comes together, you realize, oh, that's her, and this is happening, and. You know, uh, her time's and, in prison okay, so, there. And to that know? point, for the, those are points of collaboration where um, Sean will get into the, the, the drawing mode and lose a little bit the track of what the story is. And so when he comes to the next panel, a picture of Coyle doing something, he'll draw it the way it looks cool in that panel. But from my point of view, conducting the story, I can see this panel, though, that panel that he drew looks really cool. It needs to look cool and very intimidating because if it's not specifically intimidating, when we turn the page, you won't feel it. You won't feel that intimidation and the punch of the next page won't be there. So right. those comments that I have to make to Sean to say like, hey, listen, that drawing is good, but I need you to erase it and replace it with a slightly more intimidating one. Yeah. All of that collaborative stuff happens right in public in front of everyone. I'm in the Rapid City exclusive. That's studio. amazing. That's great. That is so cool that you guys are doing that. I love that openness. It's it's the transparency well, it you can learn open. so much from. For the other books, it was fully open. Now that we have the Kickstarter open, only Kickstarter backers can get in there. Okay. Well, that's kind of more of a yeah. Well, that, that's more of like an exclusive club type thing. So that makes sense. Right. Uh, right. I think you've probably heard me chat of the Toronto Comics anthology. Have you yep. heard me? Yeah. They just released volume three. Uh, nice. Andrew, Andrew Stevenson is one of the lead editors on that book, and there was a group as well on Facebook for people involved in the book because it's it's immense how many people are involved. It's 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 a really thick book, and he with the group was completely transparent as well, as far as you know, not because. He, people thought you know there'd be any dishonesty he just wanted people to know how this worked and how it came together right, right so he posted everything every little bit of budget every little bit of timing every little bit of work every little bit of process he posted it all like here's the figures here's my credit yeah. card bill from last month i had to pay myself back for this or that Right, like, right. We're talking, you know, I had to pick up paper plates for the for the meeting, like, <laughs> like you know, I'm being a little exaggerative there. But, right, no, that's fantastic, though. But, yeah, it just, it just, I love when you see that, when you can watch the process, especially in a, you know, nowadays when we've got, you know, people could just, it's it's Ed TV now, you can show your life 24-7, right, right. you know, it's, it's cool. So, now we're at a point where we got a brand new Kickstarter coming, so tell us yes. about that. So I'm taking a little bit of a risk here. I've been telling people that it's either really smart or really stupid <laughs> where I like the idea of people participating page to page, right? Where even panel to panel, right? Where on the exclusive studio, people could comment. If I was at work or busy, people would be commenting on Sean's pages before I even saw them. I would log in, look at it. And <laughs> there were already comments on the artwork that I hadn't even seen yet. So <laughs> that's wild. 
rather than setting a high uh, uh, goal with a bunch of with complicated rewards and things like that, we set a very low goal. With the idea being, I paid Sean in cash for the first five pages of Rapid City Below Zero. After uh, uh, Philadelphia, I had enough cash. Boom, put it in his hand. There's the first five pages. So for page number six, we're going to Kickstarter. For $100, we're funding one page of Rapid City Below Zero. <laughs> Sorry. And then once that finishes, at $105, if we go 5% over, which we did on the first day, it unlocks a stretch goal of $200 to fund page number two. Or, you know, not page two, the second page would be page seven. Right. And the $300 right. will be page eight and page nine and ten and eleven. Dude, this and is a crazy idea, man. <laughs> it's – I will tell you very candidly on the first day when I did it, I was trying to figure out different ways to do this for a long time. I wanted to do something with very low prize levels mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. – I would court many backers rather than a few big ones is the plan. Cause I, I want a lot of people involved. Um, and I was thinking also of like micro goals, a hundred dollars. And my initial idea was to do a whole bunch of Kickstarters, but then I realized that would get really annoying and really a, a big hassle for me to do 20 week long Kickstarters back to back, blah, blah. It just, so then I had the idea for the stretch goals. And when I launched it in the first 12 hours of launch, it seemed like a great idea. Everyone loved it. We met the goal right away, went over, and now it feels like maybe it's a really bad idea because it's a little stuck. But I'm hoping once the exclusive studio participation starts to dig in a little bit and people start to have fun with that and right. want the pages right. a little bit more, it'll start to roll over a little bit more. So where are so, we presently at? So page seven was funded then? Pages six and seven were funded. As of this recording, page eight is seventeen dollars away from being funded. Oh, okay. Well, it's not that stuck then. (laughs) 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 Your humility is throwing me off, there, Josh. (laughs) Well, right. Page eight is a long. Hell, I'll hit. I'll hit up that seventeen bucks when we're done talking here. All right. Ask your listeners to do the same. Yeah, not a problem at all. Uh, It's a a really cool idea, man. I love it. I'm all about it. So if if your listeners throw in a buck, they'll be able to come into the exclusive studio and watch us work. Right, which is so cool. Like, it's not (laughs) – it's cool. It's it's, it's something I've never heard of because not only are you paying to fund the comic, which I know all of you out there fucking listening do – this gives you a little window into the comic being made. It's it's totally an exclusive little club. This is a great idea, Josh. I love it. Like, oh, this, thank you. You know, because it's not like as risky as it is. It's not like you're like, okay, this is going to be my next big comic. I need to. I need five grand. This big old Kickstarter. Let's do this. You can. Right. You know, you can make this. This isn't the biggest risk I've I've heard of in comic book making on Kickstarter. Right. So, I mean, worst case, even if we don't get a single another backer, we've still funded three more pages than we had funded before. Right. And we can just try something else. We can get a job delivering pizzas or whatever. Right, right. Well, people are going to continue to fund because they want to see the book then at that point. They're like, well, we've got three pages funded. i got to keep helping to fund the the continuation, right? <laughs> right? So I think it's my a great hope, way to well, also get bringbacks. Yeah. that if, say, someone who has donated or contributed $5 – wants to see it going, instead of just logging back in and adding on another $3, 
they'll go to someone else they know and go, hey, bro, throw this thing $2. Right. Right. You know what I mean? I want well, my what I, I have many goals, obviously, but the, like I said, one of the ones for this is to get a lot of people throwing in just a few dollars. Yes, which is fun, man. It's it's almost yeah. like a Patreon. It's almost like you're using Kickstarter, like Patreon. It's, kind of, kind of. Yes, it's very much like that. I yeah, thought a lot yeah. about Patreon. I looked at it. I, I, someone will tell me I'm wrong about this. I could be. I'm obviously no crowdfunding expert or Patreon expert, but right. I think Patreon doesn't quite work for writers at my level no it doesn't patreon is more of a of a, a lot of podcasters use it to just try right. and keep funding and their their storage or whatever makes yeah. a lot of sense for patreon yeah, um yeah. artists who produce a lot patreon makes sense um short story writers who produce a lot it makes a lot of sense a comic writer and producing a comic sean and i don't have the elbow room to produce a lot of extra content right because the content we're producing has to be the book Right. Yeah. So it Patreon doesn't. It's a wonderful idea for those who it works for. I don't. I don't think. And again, someone's going to prove me wrong right away. I don't <laughs> think it works for a writer at my level. So this is the closer sort of version to it. It's right. the little drip drab drip drop contributions, which keep the thing rolling and rolling, and hopefully that rolling motion gets more contributions and more contributions. Right. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. You're you're bringing more people in just for the fun, and they're gonna learn. They're gonna fun. see. Yep. You know, it's it's one of my favorite things about you, Josh. You're just you're just all about educating. You're just all about sharing the knowledge and sharing the love, and it's it's a fantastic thing. My hats off to you for doing it. Uh, also, the book is fantastic. If you guys haven't edit, read any Rapid City, you got to get on that because, uh, like we've been saying, it's good times indeed. Um, I'm afraid at this moment. So, so sorry. What on? Uh, what what are the what are the tags? Kickstarter. What do you go under for this? Just Rapid City, and it's going to bring up the most recent one then, or? I'm sure that'll work if you do Rapid City comic. Rapid City below zero, number five, page six is the name of the <laughs> Kickstarter. <laughs> Rapid City below zero, number five, page six. That's going to be the most confusing part of this for people. It's ridiculous, you know that, right? They're like, but oh, if you just do Rapid six, City below seven. zero. Just, just, come up. just pledge for them all, and you won't have to worry about it, kids, because then you'll know. <laughs> so, very cool. Uh, now, we've got to bring this joyful moment down a little tiny okay. bit, uh, because this is this is kind of all weirdly coinciding tonight, the way this is going to happen, because, uh, first of all, you're here, and, of course, we talked that you were at the Great Philadelphia Comic-Con, and That's tonight's right. conversation that we are going to feature... Uh, I was going to feature a different one, but I'm going to bring back uh, something I did at the Philadelphia Comic-Con. And that was a conversation I got to have live with Miss Denise Crosby of uh, Star Trek and uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, you all know Lieutenant uh, Tasha Yar, I'm sure. Yes. Um, but the reason I switched it over, she was going to be next week. And I'm bringing it into tonight as a little bit of a nod or acknowledgement or even you could say dedication to Mr. Anton Yelchin. Uh, oh, who, right. Unfortunately, today, really crappy. It's also Father's Day. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Man, 2016, such a fucked up year. Uh, it's getting a little weird. Yeah, this was just the, the icing on the cake because this was a young, vibrant, 27-year-old actor with a yep. bright future and a movie about to hit the theaters 
yep. and a freakish accident that I still don't quite understand how right. it and sounds like his was, car just rolled down played, a hill. Uh, 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 Scotty, no, he he played Chekhov. Chekhov, in, yes, in Star Trek. So in a way, he's part of the Star Trek family, and uh, this is so sad, and yet another tragic part of 2016 that uh, I decided to switch it over. So tonight we're going to go with a little Star Trek uh, in honor of Mr. Anton Yelchin. And uh, we're going to bring to you a conversation that I had with Miss Denise Crosby at the great Philadelphia Comic-Con. We talk all about Star Trek. We talk about The Walking Dead. We talk about the fact that I cannot believe that... Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. I don't want to spoil it. There's there's, <laughs> there's something that comes out in this conversation. She, she reveals some information that I was absolutely clueless to. Uh, I'll tell you after we're talking here, Josh, but I was clueless to this fact, and uh, I'll leave it like that because y'all may be surprised by it too. But uh, just in the the face of really shitty times, kids, um, you know, the real world doesn't seep into this podcast a lot. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to, it's always been for me to have fun, get to know people, have conversations, share those conversations and to entertain even. Um, but sometimes the, the real world gets shitty enough that you have to acknowledge things. It's been a real tough time. Uh, you know, my hearts go out to everyone in Orlando. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, anyone who knows me on a personal friend level basis out here at home in the, in the Canadiana knows that uh, I'm very, very deeply, steeply involved with many, many friends in the LGBT community, and mm -hmm. uh, they are hurting right now, and it's a tough time to see. And, uh, you know, I I'm going to actually be trying to very soon bring a very specific episode, not to, uh, not to get sad about or talk too much tragedy, but I have uh, many artist friends in the community, in the LGBT community. So I'm going to be trying to set something up uh, real soon, kids, where uh, we might have a few artistic guests from that community who may have some right. interesting things to share and uh, some interesting thoughts to uh, think about uh, on that uh, subject. So hopefully I can get that together. But not to get too doomy and gloomy, go to Kickstarter, check out Rapid City Below Zero page numbers put numbers Issue shit will five, come up page six <laughs> shit will come up uh you can also of course find uh josh uh around social media where can they find you they know how to use google i'm josh doll yeah. the book is yeah. city below zero <laughs> it's most places it's um at rapid city comic or at below zero comic there you go um it's below zero comic.com Whatever, you can use Google. You know how to find stuff. <laughs> Josh, you're the shit. And man. I'm sorry, also, I got to add, makebettercomics.com is the yes. other one. Yes, yes, makebettercomics.com. Thanks for hanging out uh, with us for uh, this 45-minute intro to tonight's show, Josh. <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much, man. I really no, appreciate it. No, it is and always, always my you pleasure. And your listeners for uh, throwing me some support and, very importantly, letting other people know that you've thrown some support. Sharing it out there, saying, here's this cool thing I found. You should check it out, too. That's how word's going to spread, and that spreading word is what I need. Yeah, and we're going to get uh, – that link's going to be on the site, kids, for the uh, – you're going to have to send it to me, the tiny Ural yep. RBCGs thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because if you read the very first issue, I promise you won't want to stop. And that's going to lead you right up until what's happening now. So uh, that's Josh Dahl. 
Uh, don't forget, you can also find uh, Sean Langley on Twitter, and you can find him on Facebook as well. Uh, hell of a wonderful uh, hobbitling and uh, a really, really talented guy. So uh, he's the other half of Rapid City. This is one half. Josh, thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you so much, man. Anytime. Uh, and now we are going to enjoy a conversation from the great Philadelphia Comic-Con with Miss Denise Crosby. We'll see you next week, kids. Hi, everybody. Everybody's having fun, as I just heard. Thank you for coming, Miss Denise Crosby. Thank you so much, guys, really. Pleasure is mine. Welcome to Philadelphia. Ah, you know, this city of brotherly love. This is, um, this is where my husband's from. Oh, really? Yeah. So do you come, does he still have family or like do you come back? I have often? one nephew left. Okay. Um, he lives uh, over in the Ardmore area. Um, and so he, um, I wish he was here today, but you know, he couldn't make it. So, well, we have you, so we're yeah, very, so you got better, better, better only me. <laughs> very exciting. So, uh, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about, um, <laughs> my purple toenail polish. No, I'm well, let, let's start with uh, the most recent exciting stuff then and maybe work our way back as far as uh, the thrilling excitement of you getting to be on The Walking Dead. Ah, okay. That, yeah, we can start there. That's always a good place to start. Well, uh, it, it, very pinnacle moment of the show, very pinnacle time of the show. Uh, how about, uh, how did you get involved? So, The Walking Dead is a really unique um, show <laughs> for many reasons. And foremost, they are very secretive of their material and very protective because they have to be. Um, there are people that are like have dedicated their lives to spoilers on The Walking Dead. So um, I got a call. Uh, my agent got a call for me to go in to um, be. You know, they were all shoot. They shoot in Atlanta, and I'm in LA, and to you know do a piece of um, uh, tape for The Walking Dead. Now, in all honesty, I had never seen The Walking Dead up to that point. So. It didn't really mean a great deal to me to go in and, you know. Now, the scene they gave me to do had absolutely nothing to do with The Walking Dead. It was written specifically for me to audition with. So, Like not just for anybody, for you to audition with? or I believe so. That's cool. And it was... It had nothing to do with The Walking Dead. It was about a woman who goes in to buy um, a specially made van from a friend of hers who happens to be a car dealer, and she wants the best deal she can get. And he is kind of, you know, negotiating hard with her, even though she's um, a friend of his. And she finally turns around and says, you know, if you don't give me the best deal, I'm going to tell your wife about the affair you're having. And so that, he goes, I'll be right back. And that was the scene. And I thought, this is so strange. I mean, this, I mean maybe, maybe these are characters that are going to appear in The Walking Dead. I don't know. And 
I didn't hear. I, I put it on tape. I didn't hear anything. Um, about a month went by, and I got a call. Um, so you knew it was The Walking Dead. You just didn't know the role or scene? I, I knew nothing about... Okay. Ter no, there was no mention of Terminus, of Mary, and nothing... But you knew it was the show that it you was were the show, the auditioning Walking Dead. for. Okay. So once they said, you have this part, I binge-watched The Walking Dead, you know, <laughs> to see what... And still, I didn't understand... What was the scene I just auditioned for? Like, where, how does this fit in in this scenario? Are they now in a city where they can buy cars? Or, you know, I mean, what's going on? So I get the, I, all they tell me is they call me up and they said, we'll explain everything to you when you get here to Atlanta. But we want you to try on a wig in California and send us pictures. And if we like it, that's what you'll wear. So I went to this wig woman you know, who, her specialty is wigs, and we tried on all these wigs, and I liked the wig that, you know, we picked for Mary. So I said, you know, try to, try to get him to go with this one. So they said, okay, we'll take that wig, and we'll meet you in Atlanta. So I flew down to Atlanta, still have no idea what I'm playing. So I have no idea what they want me to do. I just arrived. The, the, Scott Gimple, the executive producer and showrunner, I finally meet him, and I said, Scott, can I talk to you? <laughs> what, is, what, what am I playing? What am I and he said, yes, well, let me, let me tell you what's going on. And literally, as I was sitting in the makeup chair, getting ready to play Mary, he was sitting next to me, and he was telling me about it as I was preparing. So like last minute, La like, like you they, ain't gonna know nothing. Right, yeah. you can't know about it. And as a matter of fact, you can't tell anyone you're doing this. Wow. So I couldn't tell any, anybody. And I, I, my son, of course, you know, who was 16 at the time, um, I said, he wanted to go, Mom, you know, wh where are you going? <laughs> I'm going to Atlanta. What are you doing in Atlanta? Well, I'm doing The Walking Dead. And he went, no way. And I said, yeah, but here's the thing. You cannot tell anyone. How are you going to put that on a 16-year-old? I know, I know. And much to his credit, he didn't. Wow. He didn't say a word. You raised him right. I, I, well, I threatened him within an inch of his life. And I, so, you know, when the, I finally came on, when you see Mary for the first time at the end of season four, I went to his school where he plays on the baseball team. And it was like those baseball players like parted way <laughs> when I walked on. I was now like the cool mom. I was like, okay. That must make it incredibly difficult when you have no prep time to learn the part and get into the part, try to figure out the character? How do you deal with that? That's when, yeah. you know, you're grateful you've had studied and training, training yeah. and technique. It's and, a challenge. And it's a challenge, and it's its yeah. own challenge. And I love a challenge. Mm -hmm. I love it. Great. You know, it's like, you don't want to tell me what Terminus is? You don't want to tell me what that meat is on that plate? Okay. I'll play it. You're like diving in. Yeah. Like, let's do it. That's yeah, let's amazing. do it. Yeah. Let's do it. And well, it, yeah, sorry, it was good. Go on. No, I was going to say it, like, it kind of harkens back. Uh, we'll go to Star Trek for a minute. Um, at that time, to have a female security officer on the ship, nowadays we wouldn't even think about it, but Star Trek's always been great for this, mm -hmm. is pushing the barriers. That was a bold move back then. That must have been a challenge in itself to take a role that wasn't very gender 
you know, specific at that time, you know? You know, I think, I think the time was, was dictating that. Like, they had to do that. It would have been outrageous if they didn't, you know? Because we were, we were coming, this was 1986, we made the pilot. So, you know, things were heading greatly in that direction for women and for the first time. And, you know, all of our sisters who, you know, fought so strongly in the 70s for women's lib and, you know, that was, that was, a, that was a huge real thing. Um, it, it opened the, those doors. And, um, I mean, I, I never even batted an eye over it. I mean, I, I thought, well, of course yeah. I could do this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, and I was studying uh, Aikido Oh, yeah? During that time, um, uh, Paramount, uh, and it was Paramount's idea that they wanted me and Jonathan Frakes mm -hmm. um, to study twice a week with this Aikido master who came to Paramount. And while everyone off trotted to lunch, you know, Jonathan and I put on our geese and I basically beat the crap out of Jonathan for an hour. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's very cool. Okay, I'll skip back to where we were going. Um, so you get this wonderful role. Uh, you come onto a set, which many of us have heard is an incredible family. You just know that they're tight people. But what about the, like, the air, like the aesthetics of when you're filming, like your trophy room? Right? Like the room that you know, everything goes down in with all the trinkets they had everywhere and stuff. What's the feeling on set? Do, is it eerie at times? Because I've heard certain characters like coming out of the washroom and there's a zombie there. You're like, oh my god! Like, oh, oh, oh. You mean you're talking about The Walking Dead now? Yeah. Sorry, that's oh, why. I was, okay. Sorry, I'm skipping around. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. To I'm, here. I'm trying to sorry. follow you here. I shouldn't okay. have went to the Star Trek so quick because I had a line of thought. Oh, okay. But back so to The Walking Dead. Oh. As far as you know, we've all heard like they're a family, like I say. But right. Right. That room. Right. Which just looking at it on TV is yeah. eerie. How is it being it, in there? It's it's pretty weird. You know, it's it's amazing. They they're um, they are so skilled in every department on that set, and it's such a a well-oiled machine. I mean, I I couldn't believe they could they could do the, these whole episodes within you know eight days or something that they shoot maybe maybe ten days at the most. But they are moving quickly. They know what they've got. The art department, of course, is incredible. I mean, even just the scene in which Carol and I fight, you know, was extraordinary. When I went onto that set, I mean, there must have been a thousand burning candles. Those weren't CGI. They weren't props. They were They're real, actually lit fire wax wow. candles. Wow. And when they handed me the fire retardant underwear to put on under my skirt, I, then I knew, I went, no, guys, guys, we're only making a movie, okay? I'm not gonna burn alive in your set. But I was wearing, you know, a pretty flowy skirt, and I, I was looking like this every, I was in the midst of all of that live candle, you know, fire. And it was, it was amazing, you know, it had that slightly weird religious vibe to it, you know, because you've got all those candles and that writing on the wall, you know. Oh, yeah. It was creepy. It was, <laughs> it was it, super creepy. They went out there a little right. bit, you so know. You kinda, like, does anyone read the Walking Dead comic? 
for anybody who read it and knew what was coming, it was like, oh gosh, and then Terminus, oh gosh, and you pulled it off incredibly. And Thanks. the roles on that show kind of go one way or the other, as, as is the theme with the show. You're a survivor or you're not, mm -hmm. right? So you got some badass women on this show, yeah. right? Right. You had to go through, it's great roles for women. Yeah. You get to go on, come on and play like this nutbag, like just really... <laughs> Well, you know, like you know it's it, you. You could see it that way. I just thought she had to survive. You know, it, right. th this is this is the thing with that show. It really questions. You know, how far will you go? And of course, you know, none of us really know that, and hope we never will have to find out. You know, right. so we're watching them have to answer those questions. And you know, in, in Terminus, um, they, I think Gareth, you know, said it best. He said, "You're either." The butcher or the cattle, you know. So it's like we're not we're not gonna be taken advantage of ever again. Right, right. Yeah. Well, just you see, like a few things she says, like you know, we didn't always be like. This. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, exactly. To see when that makes you wonder where's Rick gonna end up? Where are they all gonna well, become that's, one day? Yeah. You know, exactly. Big that yeah. poor kid, Carl. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he needs some serious therapy after this is all over. You know. Well, I imagine these scenes. I mean, the way you guys bring the intensity across i mean in your scenes and i was just speaking with rob and lord taylor and um, we were talking about his you know experience at terminus you could say mm -hmm. and that was one of the most intense moments like when they're over the trough that was like oh you're like <laughs> yeah do i look or do i Does not it feel that intense when you're filming are you that in that place you you know yeah, you, you, you do live in that place, um, and hopefully you don't live too long in that place because it can start to um, have an effect, you know, in your real life. I mean, look, none of us are crazy in that, you know, we, we don't know that we're acting. Right. But, you know, to, to really get there, you know, you've got to visit that, that truth for those moments. But, you know, you have a lot of those moments after time. Like, for instance, I've been working on Ray Donovan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that Liev Schreiber, who plays Ray Donovan. So amazing. He's, he's amazing. Incredible. But he, you know, he mentioned at the end of the first season, after doing months and months on end of playing this very dark character whose life is in ruins, who does awful things to people for money and, you know, is, is really in a dark place. He said to the creator of the show, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, this is ruining my life, this part. Wow. Took it personally. It was really hard for him to kind of, you know, shake it. And I don't know what kind of husband he was, you know, to, to his oh, wife gosh. during those months. Yeah. And it was, it's, it, it can get weird, you know. I mean, to be married to a real Ray Donovan would not be fun. No, me. no, you know, and or having that guy come home every night. Yeah, we you hear know. about the like like apocalypse now. Martin Sheen, them people is you know. That's you gotta right. Really pull yourself back sometimes. Yeah, you know? it's, but it and that's when you're doing it for long periods, you know, right. of time. Right. And right. Um, I think I think Andrew has a really good, you know, Andrew Lincoln has a, has probably a just a very good. Um, center in, in who he is, but also a really good technique that he, he can continue to do this, this role and protect himself, you know, from right. it. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's uh, chat a little more Star Trek. We got any Star Trek fans in the house? <laughs> I thought there might be. <laughs> thought there might be a few. So there's a story, uh, an anecdote, if you will, that Mr. Patrick Stewart likes to tell all the time. 
And I've heard him tell this all the time about how when he started on the show, very serious, very pro, oh, this is acting, we have to take this serious, this is our bot, like our jobs, you know? And within a couple months, you guys were all like, yeah, no, we're having fun with this. Right. It, it really panned out that way? It was... Um, you know, it, it, yes. Patrick was from a very different, you know, not just from England, but from a different, you know, style of, of an approach. And he was, you know, he, he, he took himself, you know, very classically trained British actor and you know he was the captain so he sort of was acting very captainy and you know was very so Brent and Jonathan are insane so they were just there to and granted we did 22 26 episodes a season you look at, uh, you know, something like... 22 whatever. is tons now. 22 yeah. is unheard of. Yeah, yeah, Back yeah. then, 26. Now, you know, the shows on Showtime or HBO or whatever, they do 12. You know, that's like a normal, a normal series. So it was really long, long, long time and hours spent with each other. And, you know, to make all of this work, you've got to have a sense of humor and, and enjoy yourself because this becomes your life. I mean, I spent far more time with those guys than, you know, my, my own husband or any of my friends. So it was, um, it was so, uh, it was so important that we, we, we enjoy this time together and we just have wicked senses of humor and, and, and it was, so Patrick had to kind of get on board with that. It took him a little bit and, and, and we got him, we cracked him. That's, we got him. That's wonderful. Do we, uh, we, uh, we got a microphone right here. Does anybody have any questions? We can start a little lineup. You may have to make sure it's on there. Yeah, it's on. All right, okay. there you go. How are Hi. you? Good, good. Um, in season one, I guess, was it three-fourths of the way through the season or whatever, the skin of evil decided to, you know, take your life, and that was the end of uh, Tasha Yar. Uh, was it your decision to leave the show, or did they say, hey, we, we got too many cast members, we need some of them? <laughs> <laughs> Let's kill the hot blonde. Um, no, 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 no. Um, it was my decision to leave the show at the end of the first season, and it was a long, thought-out process. It wasn't a rash, overnight decision. What was going on, I mean, the, the, they really didn't get their writing chops on that show yet until I think it took like two or three seasons. The first season started to really become worrisome for me when many, many episodes, many days, many hours were spent where I was simply on that horseshoe bridge and the only line I had was, aye aye, Captain. And I thought, oh my God, if this is what it's gonna be, I'd rather leave ahead of the game and you know, keep going. You know, I, and I was, I was young. I, I wasn't buckled down with, with the, um, you know, what the necessities that would make you have to stay, you know, for financial reasons or whatever the, the thing. I was still, you know, free to pursue what I, why I went into this business. So, you know, it was, it was a, a, a tough decision to make, but, but it was the right decision for me. And um, Gene Roddenberry, and, by the way, the only reason I was able to do that was the fact that Gene Roddenberry was still alive and in control of the show because I had a pretty solid ironclad contract and no one gets out of contract uh, actors, you know? But Gene knew exactly 
what I was feeling and knew the frustration inherent in it. And he didn't want me to go, but he, he understood it. And he said, um, what I'd like to do is have this character be killed because I've never done it. And it should be shocking and it should be people watching go will be saying, no, that didn't just happen. So early in the episode. Uh, Fairly early. Yes, in the know, episode yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, well, that's just because Crusher wasn't that good at that, you know, she <laughs> she, I mean, she should have been able to save me. I mean, I, say, I keep saying that to her, you know, Gates, man, did you know how to work that thing, you know? So they, they um, that, was, that was, you know, the decision. Now, lo and behold, did I ever think I was gonna come back for yesterday's Enterprise and, you know, have this one of the greatest stories ever and and become Sila and it just continues so it's like it was it, I got sort of best of both worlds in a way very cool how are you all right how you doing well to piggyback off of that I was going to ask you about how once how did you get the role and then two you they killed your character off but then you came back as a different character how did that come about okay so the first part um how I got the role um I was I was um just starting to get work as an actress I was on the set of um independent film I don't know if any of you guys have seen it called Miracle Mile it's yeah they, it's a it's a really good movie I highly recommend not because I'm in it but you know well, okay, because I'm in it, but um, it's really um, a terrific indie film with Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham, and I, I won't say much, but, but check it out. Um, but it was a really exciting film to be on. It had a lot of buzz. And I get a call from my agent saying, um, you have an audition on Thursday for um, Star Trek. I went, for Star Trek? Wait a minute. No, they're, they're redoing it, The Next Generation. I said, are you kidding me? They're gonna redo Star Trek? No, they're not gonna redo it. They're gonna continue it you know, further where the last one left off. I said, wow, for well, who's doing it? Well, Gene Roddenberry's doing it, but he's doing it for syndication. So that syndication means that's when you do a lot of TV, like on Channel 4, NBC or CBS, and you have enough and then the individual markets buy it in syndication. So it's like run every day at five o'clock. So it wasn't like an honorable place to be, you know? It wasn't like a classy place to be. It was like, we're just gonna make it for syndication. So it was like, wow, oh, I, well, who was I to say no? I mean, I needed my next job. So I remember getting the material, and again, they were way ahead of the time. They, they didn't give you a script. And I was, I don't know if you guys know this, but I originally read for the part of Counselor Troy. Really? Yeah. Wow. That would have and been Marina different. originally read for the part of Tasha Yar. Wow. So I think I did two auditions as Counselor Troy, and I didn't know what the heck I was looking at, you know? A betazoid, and you know, what the hell is a betazoid? And you know, what, what is she, a therapist? No, she's a counselor, but she's a betazoid, and she's empathic, and what, huh? What do I do with this? And they said, just, you know, play it like she's Scandinavian. <laughs> okay, 
You, you want me to do a Swedish accent? You know, I like, uh, uh, no, 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 not literally, but she's kind of cool and collect. So anyway, that's where we started. And like five auditions later, Jean flipped us. And that's what it became. So um, the part of Sila came about when I went back to yesterday's enterprise and the romance was established between Lieutenant Castillo and Tasha Yar. So it was my idea that what if when Tasha goes back to fight on the Enterprise C, she's pregnant. They find out she's pregnant with Castillo's child. And the ship is captured, destroyed, but Tasha is still alive. And the Romulans decide they're going to keep her um, hostage so that they can raise her baby as a total Romulan and use it as like a bartering chip with the Federation. So I actually pitched that idea to Rick Berman, the exec producer of Star Trek. And really? He, Did you get a writing credit for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no. But I got to play her. So that's my yes, writing yes. credit. Um, so I, I took lunch with him and gave, pitched this idea. And he went, it's really interesting. Let, it, let me think about it. Let me think about it. And I thought, OK, well, that's a nice way of saying, please, honey, yeah. get, a, get a real world. Go, get a real job. So I, I didn't hear for a couple months. And my phone rang out of the blue. And it was Rick. And he said, you know that? That Romulan daughter thing, we're gonna go, we, we're gonna go with it. We've got a story. However, it's not gonna be Lieutenant Castillo and Tasha's baby. Because we couldn't figure out, there wasn't enough time that they, right. and I said, well, Rick, five minutes. I don't know what, I don't know what you do. But I mean, I, okay, but whatever, not enough time. So she's gonna be captured by the, she's gonna, Tasha's gonna be a concubine of a Romulan general and they'll have a child together. So I said, cool. And you know, the blonde Romulan was born. Mm-hmm, thank you. Was it fun to get to spin it, you know, and get to the play that kind of evilness? Oh, you know, actors always love to play right. bad guys right. because, you know, we, we're, we're forced to be so good all the time in our real life. You know? Well, because Tasha Yar had a lot of inner turmoil mm -hmm. from her upbringing and what she went through Absolutely. growing up in a very harsh environment. You know, that it, it's very obvious the way you played her that it, she struggled with a lot about within herself, you know? I'm, I'm so glad you, you know, that that read. And, you know, that, that was all, always what I was looking for, you know? The one thing I, I didn't want to do was play, you know, a perfect Federation officer. You know, I... What, what interested me most with Tasha was that, you know, she was, she was conflicted and she was always, you know, working against um, that, you know, within her. Because those are, the, now you have layers, you know, and now you have things that you can actually, actually play. And, you know, I, I, listen, I, I grew up in Hollywood, you know. And that's, that's like a failed Earth colony. Oh, you're native. So, uh, <laughs> you're a was, native, eh? I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm third generation in showbiz. Uh, in California, like in Hollywood? Like. 
Well, I'm third gen. Uh, no, my grandfather was from Spokane. Okay. But um, he became a singer and an actor. Very cool. And his name was Bing Crosby. Do you know of him? You're kidding. Thinks I'm kidding. Sorry, I had no, no, no idea no, yeah, there was yeah. actual relation. Yeah, it was my so he became so then my grandmother also was an actress and singer, Dixie Dixie Lee, and they so and then my uncles dabbled. My my one uncle Gary was on, um, oh God, you know the cop thing. Um, Adam clear. 12. Adam oh, 12. Really? He wow. was on Adam 12, and then and he did all those Elvis movies. Right. He was right. like Elvis's best yeah. friend. At least the shows I didn't have to IMDb you before I came in here, because that <laughs> would have told me that Bing was related. To yeah, I'm testing you. So now you learned something. That's amazing, though. Yeah, well, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, hi, Denise. Hey. Um, we talked earlier about yes. high strong. Did Roger Nygaard actually text you back? About oh the my state God. Of let's te <laughs> let's text Roger Nygaard, shall we? I'm going to. No, I had to deal with Brent Spiner uh, texting Jonathan Frakes during our panel oh. last year, so this seems to be a, a uh, tricky you're, thing. You're, you're a th it's a theme. I promised him I would text um, Roger Nygaard, who directed Trekkies, both Trekkies documentaries that I made, but also um, the f uh, I was in Roger's first feature film he directed out of film school called High Strung. That is very hard to find. Yes. Uh, and very, you know, it, it, it was a very interesting film that Steve Odekirk wrote and is stars in, and he's a big comic writer. Now, what's Steve? Steve's on some big show now, writing for it. He writes for all, like, yeah, he's, a, yeah, he's he writes, a big comic. He writes a lot. And, yeah, 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 and yeah. Jim Carrey plays the devil in this mm -hmm. movie. <laughs> so I'm going to, you can keep talking and yeah. I'm going to text and I'll keep talking. So I'm just still <laughs> sitting here blown away the Bing Crosby. Is. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Christmas That's must have been cool. fun. <laughs> I love that. Very neat. Well, Trekkies, did everybody enjoy Trekkies? The Trekkies movies? Is everybody aware? Denise's uh, documentaries there. Uh, I had a lot of fun watching those. That you know? so cool. Well, you start to see people are, are doing these things that are more connected like... Uh, um, like con men or con man, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Nathan. yeah. Nathan and uh, why am I blanking? Help me, people. Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan, I did Castle recently. Okay. I did an episode of Castle recently, and 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 Nathan and I talked about con men. Very I said cool. you have to have me on. Come on. Right, right. You know. Right. Yeah. Is he as nice as he comes off? Oh God, I'm Nathan sure, is yeah. maybe the nicest human being on well, the planet. Well, he is Canadian, so <laughs> sorry, a fellow Canadian, so he's going to be a polite fellow. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Okay, is High Strong on DVD, right? Yep. On DVD. Is that what we're finding out yeah. here? Well, <laughs> she does have a table, you know. <laughs> well, no, she was telling me a story of uh, how it's kind of. It was funded by the the Russian mob or something. That is like going to be oh what? yeah. So you know I don't know who was funding. You know you yeah. I, it's not my business to know as long as my checks are you yeah. know getting cleared. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Roger I, I said what happened to the movie and the it's like the these these Russian mobsters came and stole the negative, <laughs> and they were they were backing the film. And like I don't know I let's see what this is going to be so random. Let's see if Roger. He's like going, he'll, he'll look at his phone going, what? <laughs> Why are you asking me this? Let's see what he says. All right, thank um, you, Denise. Uh, thank uh, you. How did Trekkies come about then? Who, whose idea was that? 
Are you Canadian? I am Canadian. Oh, God. Wait, here, you, did just you, just gave, you just gave it away. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I How put did it in a boat? It came about. Uh, about. Sorry. Well, it came about. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. So, um, let's see. Trekkies. Okay. Well, I mean, I was introduced to this world of fandom and, and conventions, and um, I just knew that the fans had a story to tell, that, that you know, it, it wasn't fully understood by people who didn't go to cons, okay. you know? And I thought I was meeting such extraordinary people whose lives had been shaped by um, either Star Trek or the, the, their careers were chosen. They were doing incredible, you know, social work, charity work. They had gotten married, they'd met, they'd become lifelong friends through cons, all kinds of stuff. And also the really, you know, rather heart-wrenching stories of people who, you know, it gave them, it gave them hope in a time in their life when there was none. So I said, God, somebody's got to make a documentary about this. And Roger Nygaard was so tired of hearing me say, somebody's got to make a documentary about this. One day he said, guess what? We're making a documentary about this. Right on. And I said, we don't know how to make a documentary. And we just basically, there was a convention that was in LA by LAX. And I got invited to it. And I brought a guy that owned his own camera. I brought a guy who had his own sound equipment, all willing to work for free. Roger, myself, and an assistant. And we went to the convention, and we just started shooting. And Did, people- That was one con? The whole thing was one con? No, no, one that, that was the first. Okay, and it happened, what did. was great about that first con was the entire original cast was there. So <laughs> in that one out. weekend, except Leonard and, and Bill Shatner, I sat down with every single one of the original cast to interview. Wow. And basically all I did was I found a little room in the hotel, like, I mean, literally like a waiting room. It wasn't like a bedroom, a waiting room in the hotel. I put a chair, I switched, I would go into the hallways and switch the painting backdrop. So when George was <laughs> interviewed, I had one thing. When Nichelle was interviewed, I took a potted plant out from the hallway. So it looked like we, were, we put on different gels. So it looked like a red light for Nichelle, a blue light for, for George. That's so punk And it was the same chair, and I sat across from them, and I just randomly asked them stuff and let them talk. That was, yeah, it was beautiful. It worked out. Hi there. Hi there. I know the uh, season one kind of got off to a rocky start with uh, Next Generation. I know that, that you, you, know, you were there for, for most of the first season, but what was, what was your favorite episode to work on or your favorite scene? Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. You know, the pilot, Encounter at Farpoint, is pretty special to it's me. It's brilliant. It, it, it's, it's brilliant. It, because it's really brilliant. It, everything was so new. And um, it, was, it was like so um, fun to, to be exploring all this for the first time. And John Delancey is amazing as Q, you know? And for me to get frozen, <laughs> that was, you know, that was, that was wax literally sprayed on me, like airbrushed, white melted wax. I mean, weird stuff, you know? I, it's great for your skin, though, you know? I mean, I mean women pay good money for that. Um, so that was fun, um, because it's so special. Um, 
but there's some, if you go back to that first season, there are the wackiest episodes ever written. Like, Code of Honor. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, you, we looked at each other and said, is, does anyone know we're making this? Is any, I mean, they, they, they can't be serious. We, you know, we, we go to an all-black planet, and they, the, guy, the king wants me as his wife, and I've got to fight his wife, and he speaks like the guy from the cola nut, you know, from the 7-Up commercial. I'm going, really? What is going on you here? You pulled it off, though. Um, you made it it's pretty spectacular. Or the, or the, the perfect blonde people that are running, oh, like no, in no clothes. Let's go. And they start trotting. They just, Come on, Wesley, yeah, let's play. Shall we play it low? <laughs> they run everywhere. They run everywhere, and it's his. Because that was the one yeah. where Wesley uh, yeah. stepped on the grass, and they wanted to kill him for right. it or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, and Jonathan had, like, two lovers or something in it, or I don't know what it is. He probably requested that in his contract. <laughs> He's not dumb. Very good, thank you. You know, it, it, the thing about the next generation is that it, the pilot was so brilliant. And of course, the great series, but then the final episode was so unbelievably brilliant too that you could take those, oh. put them together and have like one of the best Trek movies that has been made. You oh, know? Like sweet. it's the oh, way they thank just- you. It's wrapped it up well. Yeah, I wrapped thought, it yeah. up. Started well, wrapped it up. Like you could literally, you could put them together and just, you know, it's 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 amazing. Hi there. Hi, honey. Hello. Um, not to totally get off Star Trek unless this answers the question, but out of all the roles that you have played, what has been your favorite? Why has it it been your favorite? And what was probably the most difficult part of it? Hmm. <laughs> Um, God, there's been so many interesting parts. You know, I've been blessed to play. Um, certainly, you know, Star Trek is is absolutely right up there. Um, you know, oh God. Because I, I know I, you said earlier just about how you love the the bad roles because you have to be so good all the time. Well, you know, the usually the bad villains, you know, have a lot of um, complexities about them, you know, more so, because they're, they have to, you know, why, what, what, what's making them tick, you know? Um, but they're, they're, you know, I, I, it's hard because, you know, you, you go into each part fully embracing it, and um, so, you know, one, one certainly can't, overtake the other, you know, they, it's just that I've, I've, I've loved them all. I'd be dishonest to, to say that I didn't. I can understand that. Yeah. Well, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's going great. How you doing, Mike, right? Yes. It's a two-part question. Okay. One, given how you first met Patrick Stewart, would you ever have seen him performing the way he does in Blunt Talk, his new show? Like, he recently did an interview completely dressed as a woman, complete with makeup and everything. That's so good. Did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, he's, you don't even recognize him. He's so dragged out, like, you don't recognize him. It seems him. to be yeah. the Has anybody seen it? flavor du jour yeah. these yeah. days, yeah. right? Men well, in drag? Well, that's the thing. That's why I asked in the beginning, you know, about, you know, his stoicness, because now he's having so 
much fun. Now he's all besties with Ian, and they're just having a great time. Yeah, right? that, like, that's not the Patrick that, you know, came onto the ship. This is, this is a new man. This, he's, it's, it's a better man, you know. He's, he's just opened up, and, you know, he's... Um, I think he's just having the time of his life, and it shows. And he's, he's not, you know, it's not so, so tight and precious, and he's enjoying his life now, as he should, you he's know? He's so open. Mm -hmm. I don't, he, just last week, he made his third appearance on the Nerdist podcast. I don't know if anybody of you heard it, but go back and listen to those episodes that Patrick Stewart was on, because he goes deep. He strips right down to childhood, like his father issues yeah. and family issues, and he lays it all out there for all of you to hear. That's got to be very therapeutic. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and you know, he's he he got married, you know, about two years ago to you know a lovely, lovely, fun, young girl. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your first exposure to, I guess, the fandom life? And when did you realize it would never let you go? Uh, oh. <laughs> Just now, Mike. <laughs> just now. <laughs> I've just realized that. Um, no, the fan... So, you know, listen, I'd never been in anything comparable to this until Star Trek. And, you know, that doing that first season, the show had just aired. And, you know, before the show had aired, we were shooting, and it, it was... We weren't getting very favorable um, communication from the fans. It was really hostile and negative. Because the fans were very protective of, of the franchise. And they thought, you know, this was their holy cow. And we were, you know, um, des you know decimating it. And, and so, desecrating it is what the word I want. Um, so, we didn't understand it as actors. We were just happy to get, have a gig, you know, have a paycheck. And we thought, wow, what's going on? And so all of a sudden we started, the, the show aired and the table started to turn. And now we were getting requests to go to conventions. And we were encouraged to do it by the, by this, by the executives and the writers to promote the show, get out there and talk about the show and what we're doing. So we said, okay, you know, what's a, what's a Star Trek convention? And, you know, I remember the first time I walked on stage to a Star Trek convention. I can't remember what city, it was like somewhere in the Midwest, first one I'd ever been to. The, the promoter was on stage and announced, and our special guest, Denise Crosby, and the room exploded in applause, and I welled up with emotion. I thought, I said, you know, I checked in with myself and said, oh my God, I'm, gonna, I'm about to cry. Where is this coming from? And it was just the, you know, the feeling of, of love and warmth and excitement coming from the crowd. I'd never felt that before. I've, I'd done live theater, but, you know, you're acting in it. You know, people aren't communicating with you until the end, you know, and you, it's a natural occurrence to come out and take a bow and people applaud. Or boo, you know, and hopefully not. But um, this was, and this was me, they were applauding. So it was really quite, it, it, it took me by surprise and it, it, was, it was overwhelming at first. And then, you know, oh, but time goes on and you do it, you talk enough to people and I talk to the fans one-on-one -on -one and I make the documentaries. There, be, there becomes sort of a symbiotic relationship. You know, there, there cannot be a Star Trek without the fans. 
It's the most unique relationship I've ever seen. I've done tons of other shows, and you know, they don't have CSI conventions, you know? <laughs> Yet. I don't know. They might soon, but You'll you heard it. You heard it here first, folks. Um, so you know, who knows? But it's a very unique um, relationship, and I am grateful. Believe me, I am really grateful that you know this. I have been given this extraordinary gift. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good. Uh, you are a wonderful actor, and you are wonderful for the way you touch back and reach back to the fans. And having made Trekkies, it's just obvious. And having sit with you here, uh, you obviously care, and you care about them. So thank you so much. Everybody, ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful Miss Denise Crosby. Oh, you guys. Beautiful. You're going to make me cry. She's <laughs> still over in the, art, or the celebrity alley there. So go say hello. Shake her hand. Thank you.